Coding is the backbone to the digital world. It's a skill that you need to put some creativity behind. It's just not just lines and lines and lines. You want to build in your own personality into it. Welcome to Lawagon Live. This week we have Brian Waterfield speaking to us, co-founder of Immerse UK. Brian is on a mission to be the global leader in applications of immersive technologies. That's high-end visualization, virtual, mixed and augmented reality, haptics and other sensory interfaces with data. Keep listening to hear from an expert in future tech. I'll start from my career. So I started off as a carpenter. So I left school and learned a trade, carpentry and joinery. Uh, and I was doing that for about five or six years. I left that and went into uh, Jaguar Land Rover as a pattern maker. So a pattern maker is the people that make model cars. Um, so the skills that I brought from carpentry and joinery just fitted nicely with that. Um, I went from there into an area that was doing more inspection in 3D space uh, for our vehicles, and that made me interested in technology. So I started to play about with computers that were on the shop floor, wrongly, to be honest, because I didn't know what I was doing. So I found it really good to defrag quite a lot and scan disk and basic commands. And then I tried to delete most of the files on there, uh, causing, I think, three computers to be rebuilt just because I deleted registry files and everything. But I just I was just inquisitive, so I just needed to know what was going on. Um, I did a lot of inspection, so I learned about 3D space, and I found that there was an option to start designing more in the 3D world. How far do you want me to go with this? Because I can go forever. <laughs> as far as you want. Um, so I moved from pattern making into vehicle packaging, which is managing space of the vehicle. So if you can imagine the seating arrangement within a vehicle, the space around it, where the pedals are, where the steering wheels are, it was my role to design physical elements that would allow our designers and engineers to actually build the vehicles as a, as a model. So I was doing that in 3D space, uh, not, not VR, not AR, just on a CAD machine and could see an opening for replacing some of the physical properties with virtual reality. So in 2008 or seven, I can never remember one, we built a VR cave within the in a facility and then started to use that in anger for vehicle packaging but also across all of the product range from manufacturing to service to just the designing of the car. That's amazing. So how does that work you've been doing now does that very much influence what is being done in the industry or is it still very research based? Uh, so the work that I'm doing, doing now is, is more focused on enabling uh, designers and engineers and it could be across any industry there's a real need for them to visualize and understand the concepts of what product they're developing so my job is to create their environment their environment to immerse themselves in the product in this particular case the car look around it understand it check out different routines from a manufacturing and a serviceability of the vehicle and basically get to the point of pushing the button on a design due to the fact that they've done it virtually. And has that changed like drastically from what it used to be? Or is it still like kind of the start of that, a big paradigm shift within kind of those processes? Um, I think it's a gradual process because uh, there's still physical builds, there's still clays going on. So I think as the technology gets better and better, I think more in the product development world will start to be more virtual before they start to do so much in the physical world but at the moment it's a gradual process 
So I guess for a lot of people, VR and AR kind of is focused, I guess, in the media is generally kind of around gaming. Um, and you people that's a very creative area uh, inherently. But how do you kind of focus that down to being within uh, the industry goals? I suppose it's a misconception that uh, VR and AR is gaming because it's been going since the 60s in some shape or form. Uh, and a lot of it was in the military. So when we were working on it, it was probably more focused on how it could adapt to industry. I think as the gaming technology uh, and the entertainment world took off over the last 10, 15 years, it's become more of a feature within that community. The the trouble with that is it probably becomes more of a focus in that community than it does in the industries that want to adopt it as well. Uh, and I've spoke before about the fact that the developers, the coders that are coming into the gaming world have an equally a, a good opportunity to have a career within industry because those same sort of skills are transferable and are coming more and more precious than that. And how does it kind of differ from traditional interactive medium? So CAD CAM, very much within a 2D space on a computer, um, VR, AR, you're kind of playing in a completely new ball, uh, world for, for most people. How does, how does that compare? Um, it compares in the way that you can actually get inside the, inside the concept. Um, on a 2D screen, uh, you're looking in the CAD world in 3D, but you're very limited to what you can see around it. So first and foremost, it's the visual effect of actually stepping inside in a vehicle in this case, where you can sit inside a physical seat and then wrap the interior around you, understand the different uh, design elements of it and also how it fits with an engineering base. So looking out over waste rails, height of the waste rails, the A posts that are coming around, you can have a look about how that would be from a safety point of view and also from a design point of view. So it gives you the ability to step inside the mind of the designer. Um, you've spoken a lot about kind of the manufacturing side. Have, has that has this uh, VR and stuff moved towards also testing a full uh, version of a car? Uh, no. Um, I think across industries, not just not just the automotive industry, that they are pushing more and more into the digital twin world where they can get a, a virtual version of anything physically going on and then they can try and test different scenarios. There's a lot of testing in the um, for simulation within vehicles. So a lot of the vehicles are simulated, but also the processes are simulated. And the next step for that would to incorporate them into a digital twin, which is where you can actually see the simulation whilst you're walking around. Um, kind of switching to the team that's behind you, that I'm sure it's not just you kind of building all this stuff. How how big is that team, and is it very technical? Are there a balance of technical and non-technical? Um, well, my team is small. Uh, I've had various teams. I've had large teams and small teams, but this particular team is dedicated in the immersive world. Um, and I have four people, one engineer and three coder gamers. They've all done their degree, degrees in coding and gaming. So they're a completely different person from the norm, if you call it, or even automotive in general. I think there's, a, there's been an, an adoption across various sectors of the automotive, but also the aerospace industry to bring, as I mentioned, coders in, uh, and they usually have a gaming background. The art is to keep them almost separate from adopting the same engineering mentality, which is a, a good mentality to have, but the, the creativity that's allowed within coding gives you that little bit of extra that you can keep a distance from 
the engineering of the vehicle. It's purely about creating an environment for the engineers and designers to work within. So yeah, you spoke because like there's a trend within um, kind of this environment of picking people who've come from gaming um, or have worked a lot in gaming. Are there any other trends that you've seen over the last five years, both in kind of skill set and I guess in VR in general? Um, I think because I can talk across quite a lot of industries because um, I'm connected uh, with various things that I've done in the past. That there is definitely a skill change. There's definitely a skill change. There's more data analytics. There's more, as I say, coding. The skill set is changing. I think it's in. You still need the engineering core engineering skills and the core design skills. Uh, but our designers are even pushing into this world as well, so that they can understand and basically give more to the customer because the customer is more demanding than ever because they live in a connected world. They want more and more out of everything that they have. Uh, and as a product development, it has to meet their needs, which needs it needs to adapt. Um, I guess with such a small team, there's lots of people working in the industry. Do you collaborate with anyone else outside of your your four-person team? Uh, yes, we collaborate on research projects. So I'm hooked into a lot of universities, Nottingham, uh, quite a lot in Nottingham. Obviously, Warwick University is where I'm based. But we we do research projects that allow us to have those skills, spread those skills out. Uh, and collaborate with local suppliers as well um, on various things that go on within the facility that I've just built at Warwick. Um, so yes, we do collaborate quite a lot. Um, could you talk about a bit more about that facility that you, you you just mentioned? Like how, is it a very, you've mentioned the cave, is it an enormous cave? Is it this room? Is it uh, the size of a shed? Uh, so I won't go into too much detail about the facility, but the, it's not the same one. So the one I built a long time ago was the cave. Uh, I've now adapted another facility with a lot more uh, stuff in it. So motion capture, AR, VR, uh, ability to run AI and machine learning. So it's a facility that adapts to Industry 4.0. Uh, industry 4.0 is basically the digital age for industry. Um, you're also a founder of uh, Immerse UK. Um, is that? Can you kind of tell us a bit more about that? And um, are you the only founder? What kind of? How how is it built up? So Immerse UK is a little bit of a story. Um, so about five years ago, I went to talk to the network transfer, uh, Knowledge Network Transfer, KTN, never get it right. They're a part of Innovate UK. Now, Innovate UK is part of the government. They come under uh, uh, funding programs that are put in place. Uh, knowledge Transfer Network is a group of people that transfer knowledge, obviously, uh, across different industries. So I went to talk to them and... I had a discussion about why is there not so much, why is the support for the immersive industry and VR and AR, not, why is there not a community that focuses it and pulls it back to industry? Uh, I says we need to set something up that allows the industry to talk to gamers, to entertainment, uh, bring them closer together and start to share knowledge and also returns on investment. Because one of the biggest things with this sort of industry uh, is when you take it to major industry players, you have to have some sort of business case. And that's hard to sell a digital future when it's not really been invented and you're basically working towards a solution. So we put the organization together. It kicked off about four years ago. Uh, I stepped back from that because I, my work was done, basically. I got the community started. The idea around, I think there's about 4,000 members now from all sorts of industries, um, a, a big coding, gaming and entertainment, but also many industries. 
So they have regular events where they join people together. They have regular events where they put on shows that inform. Uh, and it is a bit like the knowledge transfer again, that they transfer the networks, understand how people work and also transfer that knowledge for returns on investment. Um, so you have you did it at MSC kind of quite recently and what what did that contain and how has that helped you and what you've been doing now? Uh, I don't know about recently, but what? it was <laughs> uh, about 10 years ago. So it's probably one of the first fully fledged uh, virtual reality, high-end viz and gaming uh, degrees, uh, masters. Um, and it was in Salford University uh, and I was based in Gaydon Coventry or Gaydon Warwick. So two days a week I had to commute up to Manchester uh, and spend probably a couple of hours and then commute all the way back. But it was worth it because when I moved into from the physical world to the virtual world, uh, I thought I needed to back it up. And this was a course that I thought, I'll take this, I'll understand the area a lot more, which means that I could build the facilities and build the support for the company. So traveling up there, I it was loads of sections on understanding the social part of VR and AR and uh, gaming, uh, obviously coding, but as I've said, don't ask me to code now because it's years ago. Um, but understanding the meaning of what it is. Uh, and I think with my background in carpentry, uh, at start off, it gave me that edge to understand how the physical moves into the virtual world. Uh, this course was quite intense. Um, I was the oldest one there. Uh, the annoying part was that when we did the the uh, the group events, it seemed to be me doing the group events. I don't know what that was, um, but it was good. We even had a very interesting part of the module, which is where we were we all met on second uh, second life uh, in different characters. We met at a nightclub in Brazil, I think it was. Uh, and then we all acted out different roles. And then we had to do some breakdown of what those roles entailed. How do we put on that different personas and how do we understand how each other would react to it? The The funny part was it that on Second Life, the, the Brazilian nightclub was owned by some Brazilian people and they were a bit shocked when we all piled into the there uh, and uh, various fights broke out and stuff like that. But uh, interesting times, but it was it was such structured in such a way that it allowed you to connect more with that digital world, that virtual world, and not just do it for theory, not just do it for logic, not just do it for that, but actually put a personal touch in the experience. And I think that's what's helped me develop the concepts within the virtual world. It's not just structured on a requirement, it's structured on how we work in that world. So you'd probably, I guess, based on that kind of uh, experience, you'd encourage all people to continue doing continue like kind of educating themselves either through kind of a formal formal msc like you did or kind of courses like this i'm sure a lot of us are very much can empathize with that yeah um i think uh coding uh is the backbone to the digital world um so yes it's a, it's, a, it's a skill it's a skill that you need to put some creativity behind so don't just take it as logic it's just not just lines and lines and lines you want to build in your own personality into it Transfer your personality of what you do in the real world uh, and then transfer that into what you're building. So it's a great future coding. It's a great future digital. Um, it is where everything is going and how that actually manifests itself will be part of what you guys will probably be learning uh, and co future coders, as long as they sort of keep their eye on what we do today in respect to the real world and then transfer that across into any AR, VR experience. 
um, yeah, kind of pushing these new technologies into the industry, like that must be kind of, it's quite a big challenge. Um, can you comment on just kind of challenges you've faced along that career path? Oh, many. Um, as I mentioned about Merce UK, it, it, it was always a struggle to go in and sell a concept, especially when uh, we're so used to the physical world. So in our industry and I think uh, aer aer aerospace, sorry, there's a real need to do a lot of physical testing and a lot of physical checks because you are putting a physical thing out on the road or in the air. So it's a difficult sell to say, well, we want to do this this way. So we had to go hand in hand, really, of doing physical and virtual together, whilst the confident build in how we did the virtual. Um, and we've still got a long way to go because not only is it a matter of uh, convincing the engineers, the designers within these different industries, but it's also the legislation. It's also uh, policies that are pulled down that are still not evolving to the digital age. So it's a, it's a tough world. And if you're going to go out there and do it, expect a lot of people standing in your way saying you don't want to do that, you want to do this. But just convince yourself that this is the right thing to do and just go with it. Has it got easier as kind of more bigger company and bigger, I guess, high profile tech companies have kind of pushed VR, like uh, Microsoft moves into Holo HoloLens, Google tried with Google Glass, I guess. Um, has it become easier or has it become uh, more competition? I wouldn't say it's come easier. Um, I think there's a, there is a disconnect probably with tech companies and industries, uh, purely because the tech companies are not, haven't been around as much as Microsoft probably have, but if you're looking at more newer tech companies, they have a bit more freedom because they're not, they're not bound by what they've already done. Uh, with industry, a major industries like the automotive and the, I say, aerospace, they've done things for a long, a long, long time and have done things a certain way. So you're carrying that with you. With tech companies, they can, it's almost like a blank piece of paper. They can start reinventing as they go along at a speed as well. Um, so I don't think it's helped. I think it's highlighted the need for change. Uh, but there are a lot of complications in changing. Do you have a do you have a ideas of what the future of tech of immersive tech might hold, or do you have a, a goal of what you you guys want to achieve with uh, what you're doing? Uh, holodeck. <laughs> um, does everybody know what holodeck is? Nobody. Star Trek. Yeah. Um, so a long, long time ago, Star Trek developed the holodecks, which was where you went for a room and it would completely give you another room that was as real as you can get it. So that's the ultimate goal within VR. Uh, and it's always been my ultimate goal. So what I see as the future is a virtual environment that allows you to do everything you can do in the physical world, um, uh, but enhanced because you can enhance a virtual world, whereas you can't really enhance a real world. So what I mean by that, if you've got augmented reality or mixed reality like the HoloLens is you can add in extra information you can do things you can't do in the physical world, which is enhancing that physical, uh, that virtual world. So I believe, uh, it's my own personal opinion, um, is that we, in the next 10 to 15 years, will be more immersed than we've ever been before. And a lot of uh, our life is spent probably in that world. Uh, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, are there kind of um, technologies out there or kind of demos that you've seen that are getting us closer to that or are we still quite quite far away from it? I'm one of those annoying people that that gets 
a lot of people come to him and say, we've got this new thing, we've got this, we've designed this, we've, we've built this, we do that. And I'm going, oh, I did that years ago. So I don't get excited. Uh, I don't know, that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> but I, I got flew out to, I got invited out to um, Germany for the HoloLens launch. And uh, I think they were wanting me to be a bit more uh, emotional about it, but I put it on and sort of, I spent most of the time criticizing it, so they weren't happy with that. So I've been there, done a lot. I very rarely get excited about anything that's going on, uh, and I can be quite grumpy about it. All, but, um, but I know I've seen sparks that are are showing signs of it, uh, different applications. But what I find with applications is they get drawn into requirements. So what I mean by that is if if you're developing a virtual reality, an augmented reality or a mixed reality, let's just call it XR, it's easier. You're almost bound to try and focus it on something. So let's break that down a bit. So if I was saying I wanted to pick that glass of water up, I would say, okay, I'll pick the glass of water up. And you would concentrate on picking the glass of water up. Whereas my my idea would be you want to concentrate on picking the glass of water up, but also you'd be want to be drinking it and you'd be wanting to wave it around or throw it at the front row. So you build in the solution to how you would expect it in the real world, whereas a lot of them are tailored for a particular task. And I think this is where VR and AR break down a little bit, because once they've done that task, what else are they going to do? They have to expand. So you have to build in when you're developing a solution, that ability to, to adapt, that ability to be flexible and that, the ability to actually take on a real world scenario. That way it will be more, more, uh, focused on what people want because a lot of people don't even know what they want in this particular world do you think that's probably why gaming probably has more of a people more attracted to that because it isn't necessarily within a, a fully realized state it's not picking up a glass of water you're fighting a dragon and you can kind of suspend disbelief a bit more than so gaming goes the complete opposite way so you've got functional requirement and you've got complete fantasy land it needs to be made in the middle. So I've I've spoke to uh, gaming communities before and said uh, you need to focus on accuracy. And they go, well, you can see all of it. You can have it rendered. It's beautiful. I said, yeah, but is it in the right place? Oh, well, that doesn't matter. It does when you're building something that's physically going to go out on the road or in the air. So accuracy is... And I've, I've got these three guys that are from the gaming world and I have to drum that into them every time. There's no point saying, well, it's near enough. That'll do. It looks great. It's not, not good enough. In industry, it has to be precise. So you have to build that blend of being precise, but it also has to look good. So they get annoyed with me because I don't want average. I want everything to be above average. So they get frustrated. Um, how do you, like the VR is kind of like another buzzword that's on in the media a lot now. And as is machine learning, AI, how do you see those two kind of, or kind of other emerging technologies kind of melding together with VR and AR? So I, I, I paint a picture of the digital world as there's no differences between the technologies. They all work as one. So in order to build a digital ecosystem, you need the ability to store data. So cloud could be clouds, it could be anything. Uh, you need the ability to organize that data for AI to have a better understanding of what it's dealing with. Uh, you need a way of delivering that data, which is the connectivity, 5G and things like that. Then you've got the experience itself. When you're experiencing a virtual or an AI, an AR experience, you need it to be more and more realistic and more and more intuitive to what you know as, or we know as humans. So they all combine together and I think they will all have a knock-on effect to each other. So AI will allow better 
conditions to be rendered, better conditions to be adaptable to the surroundings. So I mentioned about the cup, picking up the glass. AI will be able to add in that flexibility, but it still has to be coded in the right way. So it learns how to do it as we would do it. So I think there's a combination of all of them. Um, a, a lot of these talks we've had uh, over the last few weeks, have, uh, there's been a lot of mention of failure. We always talk about the successes, but can you talk about like kind of things that you've seen that you thought, oh, that's going to be the next big thing, and then it just fall in this place? I'll go back to my grumpy self. <laughs> uh, no, because uh, what I see failing fails, and what, what I see successful is usually successful. That's not bigging me up. That I just have an insight into understanding how this works. Um, there have been some promising stuff, but I think when Magic Leap was first coming out, there was a lot of hype around that. There was a uh, augmented reality, I forgot the name of them now, but they were snapped up by Apple. Uh, they were very promising a few years back. Um, so I've seen things that are developing, but they're usually swallowed up by the big players in the market. Um, this is probably a question I should have asked a bit earlier, but um, can you kind of explain the differences between the like, different types of extended reality? There's VR, there's AR, there's mixed reality. Um, can you kind of kind of split um, them up? I've had many an argument about mixed reality and augmented reality as they are the same thing to me. They're not two different things. I think every week there's something comes out with an R on it. Um, there is just virtual reality and augmented reality. That's it in my book. Uh, virtual reality is when you're completely immersed without any real world, and then augmented is just augmenting data into a virtual into a real world. Um, what kind of legislations are in place that have been really hindering the innovation in the immersive tech world? Uh, from an automotive and an aerospace point of view, is safety. So. Uh, you have to go through crash tests. You have to go through uh, ability of seat valves to work, uh, the ability uh, in case of fires and stuff like that, uh, in case of in, in aerospace is crashing of planes. They all have to be done physically because there's no proven. You could have quite reliable data in a virtual world, but the legislation does not permit you to sign it off in the virtual world. And there are various elements uh, from braking that are still combining in the physical world so it's, it's more safety than anything else uh, so with like a lot of technologies coming into cars and a lot of screens that are there are a lot of questions about when you get distracted as a driver and when it ruins the driving experience and makes it dangerous uh, what's your experience using vr to test the attention of the driver and driving in a virtual environment i uh, go back to my previous question. Oh, okay. Uh, but I can touch on research that's going on uh, in Nottingham, uh, I think it's areas of Loughborough as well, um, um, into driver distraction. And I think Warwick do it as well. So the research is going on. Uh, they're using, in Warwick, they've got a, a surround visual element where they can put you in the car. So the research going on, uh, as for us, we are working with the research. Do you have any, like, what's your personal, like, uh, view of it? Or do you think there's a future in it? Or uh, I got my previous point about the fact that I think most of the world will be experienced in a virtual world. I would think any elements of how what you experience in the real world can be simulated eventually. So it will just follow a natural course. So are you allowed to tell me what uh, kind of technology you're using? Like, what's the setup? 
I can tell you about the virtual stuff, yeah. Uh, yeah so, so what do you use to simulate uh, AR, for example? Uh, well, we're coding in Unity at the moment. So we, we use Unity as our base. Uh, we, we are, as every AI, every AR adapts to what we, we visualize it through. So we're using tablets. Uh, we're using iPads and uh, some, some tablets to visualize stuff. So is there like uh, headsets? Do you use headsets or just? Yeah, I have quite a few headsets. I've got, we mentioned HoloLens. Uh, I've got Vives. I've got Oculuses. I've got different Oculuses and different Vives, which I can never remember them all. Uh, and yes, I have, I don't have a magic leap if that's, that's easier. Okay. So I don't, I don't really know like all the different types of uh, equipment, but that's pretty cool. Mm. <laughs> How do you uh, incorporate? Um, are you are you dealing mainly with sort of static uh, visual visualizations, or are you do you have kind of virtual models that interact with the user? And, and how do you incorporate um, sort of like physical elements? Like I'm thinking something like a dashboard that you might want to interact with. Are you, are you kind of using um, you know 3D printing to create some elements and then dressing them in a virtual uh, augmented reality? Uh, I call on past tactics. We we have been working with some physical, uh, some haptic feedback devices, but it's far easier, especially across the development of a vehicle from a manufacturing and a serviceability, to have physical props within the virtual world. So we might do 3D printed, we might do actual physical books that I used to design before. We could build in parts of that, or we might do parts of a cell for manufacturing or uh, an area where the serviceability of the vehicle can be done. So you're adding the physical props into the virtual world. One of our props at the moment is just a, a frame that you can lean over to do reachability checks, but the frame is physical and it's mapped in the virtual world. So you get the representation when you're in the virtual world, but you get the physical feedback, which gives you a better immersion. Uh, for people who are interested in being um, involved in VR in some way, what do you think are the important like languages to know or tools to familiarize themselves with? I'm going to be a pain and answer that question the way that you'd like me to. Um, I don't think it matters what the tools are, what the code is. I don't think that matters. What's important is the, is the experience. The experience is what you need to focus on. So as I keep going on about making it real, don't, don't cut back on what actually makes that, that interaction real. So as I say, the tools don't matter because the tools are enablers. The experience is what you will experience and you'll make the judgments while you experience it. So focus on what you're trying to create rather than what you're creating it with. Um, you were speaking about the fact that we are going to be um, in this virtual world at some point. Um, what are the enhancements that you were that you were speaking about earlier? Because you said like currently in gaming, we see that we have the fantasy world and on the other side, we, we have the... Uh, we have reality, but we have to meet somewhere in the middle. So when you when you say meeting somewhere in the middle, what are the enhancements that you think would be better in the virtual world, but still be perceived as part of um, a reality that we know? Um, that's a good question. There's always been a debate uh, when I was learning this at, at uni that about realism and interaction. And there was always this thing that says, well, you don't need as much realism. And I used to say, well, how do you know you've never done it? You've got, to, you've, you've, you've got to reach that point before you can start dialing back. Um, I think technology is allowing us to give even more uh, into that world. So realism has always been a big key for me. And the realism can be from interaction, from touching physical things, uh, even with the rendering as well. 
we have different scenarios within our business and most of industry where they want to look at lighting conditions. So that's important where they want to see more interaction from a sensory point of view. Um, so you're just edging your way closer to that golden uh, experience where you can just physically, virtually, physically cross over. Um, so the enhancements are gradual. And I think it's it, uh, with my team, I'm stepping through those enhancements. So my first task will be, how do I get data to come in there so it doesn't fall over? Massive one. There's no point having a, a virtual world or a, an AI experience and then just waiting for it to load, waiting for it to do this, because you're immediately out of it. So you need to have the process of getting the stuff in. The actual experience itself can't break. You still call them bips, breaks in presence. Uh, as soon as that happens, you can then distrust what you're doing. As soon as you've lost the trust, you then start to question your environment, then you can't make robust decisions. So you have to start building them layer and layer to make it more and more realistic. And then you'll hit that sweet spot where people will make the exact same decisions in a virtual world as they will in a physical world. We still got some work to do on that. Hey, um, outside of AR and VR, do you think there are any technologies that you think that are um, partic particularly um, promising in regard to taking your vision for like the holodeck forwards, whether they're supplemental or parallel or, you know, um, Obviously, there's improvements in graphic cards and in processing power and things like that. But I think AI uh, is a massive part in it. I think artificial intelligence allows allows you to push past what we can comprehend as humans, because a lot of the stuff that's being generated through uh, through the experience is is technology based, and it just needs the coding and the algorithms to decide. And if you've got an AI with the intelligence to work out exactly what the humans want which is quite difficult because we all want different things. But AI will have a big impact on quite a lot of things, uh, and that will push from machine learning. So the learning will go on. If you take the, the aspect of vision and the fact that you can learn from pictures and learn from different events, that's building in that process. And as soon as it starts to build that picture up, I think that will help uh, virtual and immersive experiences tremendously. Just to follow that up, do you think there are any companies that are doing AI um, particularly well or you know, who's kind of leading the field in your, uh, in your opinion? There's the usual suspects like Google. Uh, they're doing some good stuff. IBM are doing some good stuff uh, on top of Watson. So I think the major players are doing some, some pretty impressive stuff. But there are loads of independents, loads of small companies with, I would say, unrestricted as I mentioned about requirements, they're actually going out there and proving that that they can get these things to talk quicker and understand quicker. There are so many I couldn't pick from. What's the coolest thing I've been on? Um, it's difficult because, as I say, I don't. It doesn't impress me now. Um, I think the last time I was probably impressed uh, was. Quite, quite, <laughs> it's about five years ago, four years ago. <laughs> Uh, I was out in Switzerland at a it's VR World conference, and it was the first time it had been done. Switzerland obviously impressed me because it's a great place. But there was a combination of art, uh, part, some gaming and some industry. And I think what was impressive about that was the way they fused different things together. And there was different floors with different experiences. I won't go into the experiences because they're quite varied. But... It was it was quite good to see how the technology had crossed across so many different uh, areas, and it was quite impressive to meet the people that were so infused about creating this stuff, especially in the arts world. 
um, it was really something that they could open and experience and express themselves. So I think that was the impressive part that I made the connection. The people involved were, were almost regressing back to their childhood where they weren't restricted by everything we know. They just used their imagination and they just let themselves do what they were creating. And I think that was probably the most impressive. Um, there are a lot of things going on with uh, HoloLens uh, in respect to the medical industry. And I think uh, that may pay the biggest dividends over time because uh, of the, the amount that you can look inside and understand a bit more about us. Um, so the technology of augmented reality and mixed reality, I've said them, but even though they're the same thing, um, will advance medical science, I think. I think that's the most exciting part of what this industry can do because it's giving back. The entertainment, graming, that's all part of fantasy when you start to affect people's lives. I think it has great advances and will do as it moves on. It is purely people. It's gotten, the technology will evolve. The algorithms, the codings, they're getting on a daily basis changing and it's usually people that stand in the way. Uh, and it's various generations. Um, it's instilled with us. I meant about going back to childhood. When you were a child, you used to run around a playground. You didn't care about anything. You used to fall over and do anything. Use your imagination. What we lose as we go older, um, even as your age is in the room, you start to get barriers that you put up. You put these physical barriers up because you've learned different things. You know this is that, this is bad, this is good, things like that. Uh, and those biases, no matter what they are, almost restrict the advancement in this particular world. Um, do you have any general uh, career advice or life advice? Because a lot of people here are changing their careers or, or embarking on a new venture or something like that. Uh, from people that are learning coding and uh, people that are in the room that are involved in, uh, in ideas, I would say the, the, the biggest move that you can make is to go with what you believe because you all have this spark the reason you're here and the reason you're doing the course is to have this spark of learning something different. Stop putting yourself down and saying, I can't do this. I won't be able to do this. This is going to stop me. Stop blaming others for it as well. It's not everybody else's fault. It's your fault. You need to get off and do this. Push yourselves into believing where you're going. Uh, and if you can come up with an invention, go with it. Don't put it till tomorrow or put it off go with what your gut instinct tells you and start pushing uh, the creativity that you have inside you because it's it's a big part of you uh, and it's suppressed and uh, just let it go uh, from a career's point of view uh, coding is just not restricted to gaming as I mentioned it is it is coming with autonomous cars uh, massive amount of coding required and understanding so you will should always have a career but as I say, if you want to make a difference and change the world, go out and invent it. Can I lower the tone slightly? Have you watched Black Mirror? Uh, I think one episode, I think. One episode? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you haven't watched it all. Is technology coming for us? Is there anything that you've seen that scares you and worries you? No. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a good point because... The only reason that we fear technology and fear the outcome is because, well, it's two things, not just one. One is that we don't, we don't fully understand it, and what we don't understand, we tend to bracket into a, into a thing that, that we fear. And another is we, we need to take control of what we're creating. So the fear, obviously, that is in the future, robots will rule the world, and we, we will just be 
servants to them. That'll only happen if we don't take control of where we're going. And it'll only happen if we fear the way we're moving forward. We take responsibility for what we create. We take responsibility creating it in, in how we, we live our lives, how we interact, how we interact with each other, uh, what's fundamentally uh, real to us. And if we code it and understand it and build it the way that we believe in ourselves, there is nothing to fear. Thanks for listening to Lewagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button.